0: I want to read tonight from Luke 23, uh, beginning in verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And indeed, justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Stories like this, or why we call it Good Friday. There's an urban legend about the emperor Charlemagne deciding on a whim to visit one of the prison's that was in his country, and the moment that he hit that threshold with his entourage and the prisoners that were incarcerated there discovered who he was, they all began clamoring out for their release on the basis, of course, of their innocence. All of them except that is for for one man. Charlemagne took notice of this man. The king walked over to his cell. He was just sitting over in the corner of his cell, not really doing anything, not engaged in that protest at the moment, and the king looked at him and said, what are you in here for? And the man said, Armed robbery, Your Majesty. Are you guilty? Yes, Your Majesty. I deserve to be here. And immediately the king pointed to the man, looked at his guards, and said, I want you to release this man at once. I will not have him kept in this prison where he will corrupt all the fine, innocent people who occupy it. <laughs> Nobody wants to admit they're guilty, they don't. And we read a similar story here. In Luke 23. It's a story about another king and two other thieves. Now, on the surface, they really look the same. We know because we now see the end of the story. One of them went to paradise. The other went into eternal punishment. But had you just been in the crowd that day, it's likely as not, you would have not even heard the conversation. And so if you're looking up at these men that are hung there, and we don't know exactly how many, but there were at least three, Jesus in between this one on his left and the other on his right, you you just kind of see two of the same men. You see two criminals and you probably assume that they both deserve what they're getting, that they both are pretty much Exactly alike, and and it would be true actually on observation that both are suffering from the pain of crucifixion. Both are guilty of the crime. Both are uh, with Jesus there. Both of them see Jesus. Both of them see the sign hanging over his head, proclaiming him King of the Jews. Both hear the words from his mouth as he says, "Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing." And of course, both of them desperately would rather not be in that situation. I think anybody being crucified would rather not be crucified. I don't think you have to ask them that question. I think that's a pretty safe assumption. And I think about that when I think about similarities to the people in our own day. People go through hard times. Most people in our culture, when they're going through their own crucible, it may not be anywhere near this graphic or this painful, but but any kind of hard times at all, if you ask them, have you heard of Jesus? They probably will tell you yes. They know about him. They've heard that he grants forgiveness. And, and I don't know about you, but in my experience, I've never met a single person on earth, Christian or not, who wants to go to hell. Never met anybody that said, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about going to hell. Everybody I talk to, if you talk about eternal eternity, you talk to them about their eternal destiny, they, they want to do what they can to escape judgment. They may have different views of how they're going to escape it. They may have weird ideas in my mind or yours about how they think that takes place. But but we're agreed on this. No human being I've ever known wants judgment. Nobody wants to go to hell. But the differences between these two men are worth noting, if for no other reason, because those differences show us why one of them got into paradise that day and the other one did not. And so I just want to spend a few moments tonight really just sort of skimming the surface. I'm not even really going to plumb the depths of this text, but but I want to give you six really quick contrasts between two men who look very same on the surface but they're actually very very different. Here's contrast number 1. One of these men was belligerent and the other was completely broken. If you look at verse 39, you see this, one of the criminals who were hanging railed at him. Are you not the Christ? save yourself and us, he wants results, and that's all he wants. Now, I don't know what he knew about Jesus besides what he confessed that he knew, but but obviously he knew of Jesus' reputation. He knew why Jesus was hanging there, and he thought, perhaps, you know what, maybe just on a whim, this man really is who he says he is, and if he is who he says he is, maybe I can ride his coattails off of my own cross and, and get my own redemption and get a better station at life um, that's how closely aligned he is with those in the crowd. Though he actually isn't crying out for Jesus because he wants Jesus, he's crying out to Jesus because he wants Jesus to give him something, and, and because that hope in his own mind is rather slim. His tone, his posture, is. Pretty much the same as the crowd around him, if you back up from the context a little bit. In verses 36 and 37, the religious leaders are mocking Jesus. In verse 38, Pilate, the Roman governor, is mocking Jesus. And the first thief, by the time we get to verse 39, rails or mocks would be another word. He's just like the rest of the crowd. If you're the Messiah, you should be able to save yourself. And while you're at it, throw a little bit of that mercy my way. This is what I want. And it's the way a lot of people relate to God. Usually it's only when they suffer, but oftentimes we look at God the way we look at, I I call it carjack theology. Even when you buy a brand new car, I don't know of a single person who before they pop the hood, before they talk about the color, before they stick their head through that open window, you know, because there's something addictive about that new car smells like the crack cocaine of people who want to buy cars nobody's ever said, I want want to see the jack. I want to see see the tools. Where are the tools? Maybe there's some of you nerds in here that you like to be that prepared. But I don't know anybody. In fact, a lot of people I know don't even know where that sucker is until they find themselves on the side of the road. And that's the way a lot of people treat God. He's like that undesirable thing you don't even want to think about. Until you have a flat, you have, there's a little suffering in your life, and then, then you want to get it out, let it do the dirty work, and then you put it right back where it was, and you don't think about it anymore. That's pretty much where this guy was. Jesus, jack me down off this cross. Jesus, jack me up out of this sickness. Jack me up out of this financial mess. Jack me up out of this lousy job. Jack me up out of this crummy marriage. And to view Jesus in that way, just, just to be the way out, my avenue. He's not my Lord. He's just the driver of the getaway car. All right, You're using him not to worship him, but to worship what you really want. And one of the lessons we learn from this story is God will never be used as currency for the purchase of an idol. If you desire God, or if you don't desire him, if all you desire is what you can get out of him, then God is not pleased and you are not saved even though you may look a lot like the guy who is, but compare this with the penitent thief. Verse 41, we indeed justly, we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. He just realizes, you know what, I deserve what I'm getting. He doesn't get sucked in by All of the madness and the the entitlement mentality of the others, he's not sucked in by that. I, I think one of the most humble things we can do, especially on a day like Good Friday when we take stock of what Jesus has done for all of us, but really any day of the week of the year for a follower of Jesus, when someone asks how you're doing, is simply to say, I'm doing better than I deserve. No matter what happens in your life, there may be things you'd rather not See happen in your life, things you'd rather not experience. You, you just wouldn't. How many of you have done your taxes already? Okay? How many of you got a surprise and it wasn't a good one? Me too. Just happened three days ago. In moments like that, how you doing? Better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. That's where this thief is. He's penitent. He's broken. He's not belligerent. Here's contrast number two. The first thief railed against God. The second revered God. All right. He railed against him. Can you imagine doing that to the king of kings? You got to be rather full of yourself to be nailed naked to a cross and you're still angry. Like that's, I look at social media sometimes and I wonder, are these people going to die like that? Like the rage is just like, I would think eventually you'd get tired of that, but that's what you see. He rails against him, and the second, almost almost, like he's looking at him going, do you not have any sense at all? What's wrong with you? He says, do you not fear God? This man feared God. God was real to him. Now, he might not have known a whole lot about God. We don't know really much about this guy's religious background, but we know that He he recognized something here. God is creator. He he knew whether he could articulate it like a theologian or not. He he knew experientially the truth of what Paul would write later in Romans, that the pot can't take up arms against the potter and say, why would you make me like this? And if you seek a relationship with God or relief from pain or salvation from eternity separated from him, you need what this man had. You need the proper posture. It's a fitting thing. For we who are created to bow in submission before the one who made us. That's the starting point of the gospel is to recognize you you and I are created in the image of God. We we have everybody in this room, every human that's ever lived or ever will live, has inestimable, immeasurable worth simply by the virtue that they exist. But it's tied to this one thing. They are created That means they have a creator. And the bowing in submission and recognizing this, that he is worthy of reverence. First thief didn't realize that or didn't want to realize it. The second thief did. He revered God. He was broken before God as as a result. Here's contrast number three. The first thief copped out. The second thief confessed. He admits that he's done wrong. I'm I'm getting what I deserve. I'm suffering the due reward of my deeds. He's no desire to save face, no more will to assert himself. He's nailed to that cross naked in front of a crowd of people and in front of God. And unlike the other thief, he had sense enough to know that nothing in that moment could be hidden. But you know what? As much as those people could see and as much just merely by the fact that he'd been crucified, that they might know about him, they still didn't know as much as God knew. God sees deeply into the heart. You don't have to be stripped of your clothing and nailed to a cross for God to see everything and know everything. As we sit here, stand here, he already does. He knows it all. Nothing can be hidden. And the penitent thief realized that, so he simply gives up. He confesses his sins. One preacher put it this way years ago, too often we try to cover our sins. For 11 years, our family lived in Howard County, Maryland. For a few years there, it was rated, I don't know if this is still true or not, but it was rated as the third most affluent county in North America. We were talking about a food pantry at our church, and we're actually told our first year there, people don't go hungry in this county. We had people who wouldn't go to Walmart in that county. You talk about an adjustment for this boy, what do you mean you don't go to Walmart? There's not, well, there's, there's a couple, but they're down, you know, in a, in a, the worst part of the County. Like this was big. And you know what we, we discovered that drug addiction, no, not black tar heroin, not the stuff you buy off the streets, but the prescription stuff that you can get sometimes under the table to help you deal with anxiety, to help you deal with depression To help you deal with Lord only knows what kind of other mental health issues were going on. And this is pre-COVID. This is pre-all the stuff that our world has been through. It was just the pressure of being a high school student whose parents expected you to go to Harvard. And what that produced, the angst that that produced. in so many of those kids and their parents, it was really covered up well by the Mercedes emblems, by the gated communities, by all those communities. They could, they could hide that stuff really well. But Jesus tells us nothing is hidden that will not be revealed. Nothing will not be made known. And when we try to cover our sins, eventually God will uncover them. He has no interest in how things look. He cares how things are. He doesn't care how impressive you are to other people. He cares about the actual state of your soul, which is why if you try to cover it, he'll uncover it. But the reverse is true as well. If you just uncover it, do what this thief did, he covers it. He's got it. It won't matter any longer. The most free people that I know about in the world are people that have Done horrible things to themselves. They've been trapped in addiction. They've done all these things. They're actually willing to deal with whatever temporal consequences they face in this life, but they live their lives with joy and they don't care who knows because Jesus has forgiven them and he knows that they know that Jesus has forgiven them. They believe in his death on the cross for their sins. Without shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. But he who knew no sin became sin for us so we might become the righteousness of God. They believe that. They embody it. And they're some of the freest, happiest, most, even if they're in prison for the things they did, they're some of the most joy-filled people this preacher's ever met. Just like this thief. He confessed. Here's contrast number four. One was demanding, the other defenseless. Now, here's the real test of humility before God. Everybody admits to being imperfect. Everybody. You ask somebody about their relationship with God, they'll lead off sometimes with that. Well, I'm not perfect. I, sometimes I just want to go, really? Because I kind of thought you were, but now that you've said that. Yet yeah, we all know that humanity is imperfect. And some even may even go as far as to call that imperfection sin. But when the consequences of their sin, when you remind them of their sin, have you ever done that? Had somebody kind of, they're self-deprecating when they talk about themselves? What do they want you to do? I want you to counter that, right? I'm just so worthless. Oh, baby doll, you're not worthless. You're worth so much. You're so wonderful. You're so pretty. You're so handsome. You're so talented. You're so this. I don't know about you, but when my children have messed up in the past and they get get on that pity train, I I don't always agree with them, but when they go, oh, I'm just so stupid, I'm like, all right, hush. Just hush. That doesn't help anybody. It doesn't. And by the way, you know our Father God does the same thing? Moses, you're going to... Go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. Who am I, Lord? I dare you to find the spot where the Lord responds with, well, you've got this Egyptian education. I've been training you your whole life for this. You're the most eminently qualified man for the job. No. Who am I? You know, nobody, basically, but I am with you, and I will be with you. So a lot of people, when they talk about their sins and their imperfections, and then you go, yeah, well, that's probably true, that the way they respond reveals a lot about them. Deep down, they still feel like, man, God owes me something. The bloody cross that we commemorate tonight reminds us, if nothing else in the universe does, God don't owe nobody nothing. He doesn't but listen to this penitent thief. I'm getting what I deserve. Even in the ancient world where just like today, plea bargaining and appeals are commonplace terms. Our culture's taught us we have certain rights before the law. Those are good things until we bring that same mentality into the courtroom of God. All have sinned, we are told. And all will be found guilty because God tells us that since the creation of the world his invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Romans 2.15 says, we show the work of God, the work of the law written in our hearts, consciences within ourselves that bear witness that our thoughts are alternately accusing or else defending them. We know God's law instinctively. We've broken it. And this is what God requires. Stand before him completely defenseless. That's what he wants. One was demanding, the other defenseless. Here's contrast number five. One rejected Jesus and the other recognized him. So the selfishness of the first one leads to his ultimate rejection. If you can't get me off this cross, I don't want anything to do with you. If you won't do anything about my problems, I won't recognize you as Lord. And then comes the second one. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, I need to unpack that a little bit. Funeral inscriptions in this day often would uh, request that the deceased join the righteous. So if you saw a tombstone, for example, in the ancient world, it would have some inscription on it that would look like that. May he be found among the righteous. So this kind of statement is actually deeply embedded in, in first century culture, and it reveals a couple of things. First of all, that this man knows he's going to die. There's no way I'm getting off this cross. I'm not going to ask him to get me off this cross. There's no hope of me escaping physical death. In fact, it's better for me to die. The, the world and the society as a whole be better off without me. That's why sometimes the death penalty is appropriate. There's no hope of me escaping this. But the second thing we know about this man is he doesn't even expect to be with Jesus. He doesn't say, may I join you in your kingdom. He, just, he simply says, remember me. Remember me. I deserve what I'm getting. He is righteous. He will join the righteous. I just, if my memory could just make it there. And he pleads for help by throwing himself at the mercy of Jesus. So, here's the big difference. Verse 39, save yourself and us. Verse 42, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Again, if you were standing on the hill that day, you might not have noticed instantaneously the difference. It might have looked the same. It may have sounded the same, but this story teaches us does it not, that there is a qualitative difference between save me and save me? Only one of those is going to get you where you want to go. And that brings us to the final result. Final contrast is, one was forgotten. The other was forgiven. What does Jesus say to the first thief? Look back at this story when you go home tonight, and the answer is nothing. One of the most chilling things is the radio silence of Jesus toward someone who has not received him. Not one word toward the one who makes all these demands from him. Some of you have been there. Maybe you had a child act entitled. Maybe you had an employee act entitled. Maybe you had a family member (laughs) act entitled. And and you knew in that moment the most mature thing you could do is say absolutely nothing. I'm not going to gratify that with a response, the king of kings has just expressed the same disposition to that first thief. He knows death is near, just like his, his companion on the cross. He, he's deep down inside. He probably knows he's guilty, probably even has some awareness of a punishment beyond this world. And the only one who can save him says nothing to him. Not one word. Maybe some final pitying glance before before he died. But that's it. Nothing. But look at verse 43 and listen to what he says to this penitent thief. Today you will be with me in paradise. You will be with me. Now the word paradise just means garden or park, and in in Jewish thought it referred to the garden of God. It took on the meaning of eternal blessing. So Jesus is saying, I'm not just going to remember you in my kingdom. You're going to be an active participant in my kingdom. And by the way, this is going to happen today. Paul tells us later that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You will be with me today. Jesus and a born-again thief will be in union in paradise. So, So here's the difference. Wasn't in appearance, wasn't in criminality, wasn't in the level of guilt wasn't in the level of humiliation, wasn't even in their differences of action. What can you do when you're nailed to a cross? It was difference of the heart. And the condition of one thief's heart cost him his soul. This story, brothers and sisters, as well as Good Friday itself, just the whole existence of this particular date on the calendar reveals to us that when it comes to Jesus, there are two and only two options C.S. Lewis reminded us of this two generations ago when he said this about Jesus Let us dispense with this foolishness of calling him a good man. Either he is Lord and God, or a liar, lunatic, madman, or something worse. Either fall at his feet and worship him as Lord, or curse him. He has left us no other option. Here's the good news you and me can be like that second thief. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. I mean, can you imagine the horrible crimes that this man had to have committed in order to have been subjected? I mean, the Romans crucified a lot of people, but crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst. It's one of the reasons we know that the courts that were held prior to Jesus' crucifixion were kangaroo courts and that the, the sending of him to the cross by Pilate was not so much an act of justice, even by Pilate's own admission. It, it was Pilate trying to keep the crowd under control so that the mob doesn't take over the, the whole system of justice. For most people, crucifixion means whatever you did, it was bad, and it was probably much more than one thing. And yet, this second thief, that same day, joined Jesus in paradise. I love what Alistair Begg does with this story. He asks us to imagine what it might have been like later that evening for that thief to enter heaven. I mean, can you imagine? Like, I I don't know if there's a literal book. I I, I don't know that. But if there is, it, it wouldn't be hard to imagine, but by the time he gets to the gates, the angels are like, well, you're how did you get here? Like your name's not even on the list. Not, well, not yet. You know, maybe it's coming like a late reservation for an airline or a hotel room or something. Oh, here it is. It just came through the system. Like, what are you doing here? Alistair Beck said, can you imagine this man who has done all these horrible things, who has very little probably background in, in the scriptures, and the angels start asking him, "How did you get here?" And his reflexive response is, "I really don't know." I mean, that's how quickly it happened. That's how quickly conversion happened in this in this man's heart. What are you doing? What What is your religious upbringing? I don't have one. What was your life like? Why well, was a horrible criminal? My goodness, we can't figure out why this man is standing in front of us and what he's doing here. In the modern age, we might have asked him, well, do you understand the doctrine of justification by faith? I don't even know what any of that is. I don't know what any of that is. How far did you get along in catechism? I don't know. What's a catechism? I don't know any of that. How did you get here? And he looks at him and says, the only thing I know is that the man on that middle cross said I could come. And that's the only thing that matters. That's it. That's it. We heard a tragic story on this stage Sunday of a man who read great big old thick theology books who does not know Jesus, that doesn't make you saved. As important as theology is, and as big of a nerd about that stuff as you all know that I am, that doesn't get you into heaven. Religious works don't get you into heaven. The amount of respect you have among your peers, whatever they think about you, whatever you think your appearance means, it is, it is very different. It's, it's very distinct between what the way things look and the way things really are. And Isaiah The same prophet that we read at the outset of our time together reminds us that our righteousness on our best day, it's like filthy rags in the sight of God. And what we need is a change of heart, a change of disposition that says, whatever God were to send my way in in terms of judgment, I deserve it. In fact, I deserve worse than I'm getting today. And a penitent attitude that says, I recognize there's someone who died as my substitute, not right beside me, but 2,000 years ago, it may as well have been me, hanging there with him, my substitute, took my sin, shed blood so that I wouldn't have to, was then resurrected to new life, which is what we'll celebrate here in this very room in about 36 hours or so. And then he looks at me now and says, because I live, you will live also. That is... John's equivalent to, you will be with me in paradise. You'll be with me, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you know or what you don't know. Here is the wonderful news about that terrible day. The man on the middle cross says you can come, and that is all that matters. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to ponder, and to meditate for a moment tonight on the cross of Christ, the center of all of human history, the center of all redemptive work. Lord, we thank you for this gift. And as we leave here tonight, I pray that you would confirm those of us who are in Christ that it really is all about your death for our sin. Lord, we're not thankful. No way we could be thankful enough for it. But if there's someone here tonight who doesn't know you, Lord, may you bring about in their heart what you brought about in that thief's heart. May they recognize if they're, if they're the kind of individual that has a tendency to be a little bit self-righteous that they're no better than that thief. May they realize if they're prone to think so little of you and your death on the cross for their sin, that they would think I've done too much, what I've done is too bad, there's no way he'd ever forgive, that they are exactly who you are after. And that today, you, the man who was on that middle cross, tells them they can come. No one else can say anything else. Lord, may they put their faith in you tonight. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen the Lord bless you and keep you Lord make his face to shine upon you Lord be gracious to you and give you peace as we're dismissed until Sunday morning hi everybody pastor Joel here and I am so glad you stopped by I pray this podcast helps you in your walk with God And if you're listening with questions about faith of any sort, God is not afraid of those questions and neither are we. Join us any Sunday morning at 9 o'clock or 11 o'clock in the morning. If you're new to our area and looking for a church home, I hope we'll see you soon and have the opportunity to welcome you properly and personally through our doors. And if you live in the tri-state area, but you're already a part of one of the other phenomenal church families here, I pray this podcast has been a great addition to the primary teaching you already received from your local pastor. And that you've been better equipped to serve your own church family. So let's all go make Jesus famous this week. Share his love every chance you get until we meet again. And God bless you.